Welcome to another episode of The Impolite Psychologist. So when we are babies, when we are first born, there is that first developmental phase that we go through in our lives. And that is the phase where we develop trust or we develop mistrust, where we learn that when we cry, someone comes to check on us, someone tries to feed us, someone tries to make sure that we're comfortable, and that when we cry, somebody comes and takes care of us. Now, if babies cry and nobody comes, or somebody comes and they're angry, or somebody comes and gives the child not what they need but something else and does so over and over again, this develops mistrust. Now, I'm not saying that everybody who has problems with trust developed it from that first stage of infancy. I am saying, however, that there are two kinds of people in the world. There are the kind of people who trust and think that most people are good, human beings are inherently out to do the right thing, etc., etc. And then there are the other people in the world who believe that they can't trust anybody and they're sort of always prepared for people to either let them down or hurt them in some way. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I actually had, in the course of one week, two different clients who had told me that their cars had been broken into and their purses had been stolen out of their cars. And mind you, they don't live in the same area. You know, they were not in high crime areas. They were not in the same area. It just so happened that two different people got their purses stolen out of their car. Now, when I heard them tell me that they got their car broken into, I felt very bad for them. And then when I heard that in both situations, my clients had left their purse in the front seat in full view of any passers-by, and I thought, well, you kind of got what you deserved because you can't trust people. And that's the category that I fall into. I am a person who does not believe that everybody is inherently good and doesn't trust people. Now, I know exactly where this really developed, and it had to do with my career. Uh, when I started working with people who were addicted to drugs, one of the problems that an addict has is they lie a lot. And they obviously lie about whether they've been using drugs, how much they've been using, whether it was their drugs or somebody else's drugs, whether they want to use or don't want to use. They have all these different reasons for lying around the drugs. And very early on, I learned that when I was doing an intake with somebody who was an addict, 
they would report to me how much they used in terms of drugs or alcohol in that first session. And in my mind, after a while, I started thinking that I should at least multiply whatever they say by three times because everybody was so dishonest about that at the first intake. And then gradually over time, as we were talking to them and they were sort of surrendering to therapy and working on their mental health, they got more honest about things. And now this is the, the idea of lying is not just for people who are addicted. I mean, there are lots of people who lie about all kinds of things, but that is a population where it's sort of rampant. Now, my next experience from a career perspective was I started working with juvenile male offenders. These were kids who had been arrested and were incarcerated. And my job was to help them to transition out of that and help them get set up in the community and kind of figure out how they were going to get their lives back on track. And so that was another population who would lie a lot. And some of them were smooth and some of them were not so smooth about that. So, you know, it would look something like this. I got caught. It was so unfair. I was holding my friend's drugs in my pocket when the cops jacked me up and it wasn't even mine. Or they weren't my pants. I was wearing my friend's pants and, and his drugs were in the pocket and I didn't know and the cops jacked me up. Right. So it's it's sort of like that. There was another thing that I noticed in working with the these kids, the way they would word things would be a good indication that they were lying. They would say, oh, man, I'm in here now. I'm locked up now. And it's because this guy said I robbed him. And this guy said that I robbed him at gunpoint. And the guy said that I ran down the street. And the guy said this, that, and the other thing. And so they, the way they would phrase it is is like you would believe that the guy was making up the story. But then when you actually ask them, well, did you rob him? Did you hold a gun to his head? Did you run down the street? They would find some squirrely way of not answering the question. And so, you know, that you get sort of used to this. And after a while, you start to believe that basically, I started to believe that any of these kids, if they were talking, if their lips were moving, they were lying to me. And that really was sort of the end for me in terms of I was past the point of no return. There was no way that I was ever going to go back to listening to what clients told me and believing it 100%. And I have remained that way and decades have gone by and I still don't believe anybody or trust what they're saying, no matter how nice they are, no matter how much they want help, no matter how much they want to work on themselves. I always believe that there's something that I'm not being told, or there's definitely, in the very least, a very jaded perspective on their interactions with other people.
So now it's a little bit simpler. I'm not working, I still work with addicts. I'm just not working with people who are incarcerated anymore. I'm in private practice now. And so what will happen is that I will be having a session with somebody and I can always tell when it's off because I feel like I'm in the dark about something. Like they just spent 10 minutes telling me a story and I still don't really have any idea of what they're telling me. It's very confusing and I feel like I've been jerked around and taken on a ride in some direction that makes no sense. And so then I start asking questions and I think by nature, I'm kind of confrontational in that way. If I don't understand something, I ask a million questions and a million details. And what ends up happening is, is that I back them into a corner and a lot of times they'll say something like, uh, well, okay, okay, I gotta go back to the beginning. I haven't been honest with you about the whole story. And here's the part that I didn't tell you. And usually that detail is so important for the rest of the story and for my work with them. And the part that they decided that they were gonna be dishonest about turns out to be the key to their healing. So it is sort of an interesting way that people go about things. And I'm not even sure what makes them decide to turn it around and tell the truth later. But anyway, that's kind of my experience. Now, I think that dishonesty is part of everyday life on some level, that people are not trustworthy to be honest on so many different levels. We have this concept, right, in psychological terms, it's a defense mechanism known as denial. And denial is where people sort of lie to themselves and they lie to people around them in order to preserve something psychologically. And it comes out in a variety of ways. One of those ways is like I'll be working with a couple and one of the partners will say, let's not argue so much. It seems like you want to argue so much. It's like you want to make things negative. I don't want to live in a negative world. We should be more positive. And really what the translation to that is, I don't like you confronting my behavior. Stop confronting my behavior. I don't want you to point out what I'm actually doing wrong. That, that comes up a lot I see between different couples. So the dishonesty plays out like this in couples. Somebody will come in and they will say, you know, I've been through so much in my lifetime. My last partner cheated on me and that scarred me for life. And now I find myself in a position where I think that my current partner is cheating and I'm just paranoid and that's not possible because this is not the same person as before. Now, as a psychologist, as an outsider looking in, I don't assume that they are correct in stating that they're just being paranoid, uh, that they had an experience from a 
past relationship that caused them to just be worried all the time for no reason at all. I don't assume that's true at all because a lot of times what happens is that when people haven't worked through their issues, they will end up picking the same type of partner over and over and over again. And so a lot of times a person who has a history of being cheated on in relationships will pick the next person who's gonna cheat on them. That person might look different. This partner might have a different way of going about it, but basically it's another cheating partner in a different form. And so I never assume that the person who's come to me and is worried about their partner is wrong or paranoid, that this is a real possibility in their life. And so I often just talk it out and try to see if their behavior is off the charts paranoid or if they're actually finding stuff that adds up to cheating. And so there's that. I don't believe that people are always just paranoid. Now, what's funny about the other type of people in the world, it's really kind of baffling to me, just kind of having seen what I have seen and heard about the lives that people have lived and heard about how they were parented growing up. Sometimes it's hard for me to believe or understand that there are a bunch of people in the world who just think that everybody has good intentions. There's a Luke Bryan song where the lyrics say, you know, most people are good and most mamas ought to qualify for sainthood. And that's lovely, but I totally disagree with that. I have just seen too much trauma walk through my doors and people mistreating one another that I don't think so. I don't think that all people are good or most people are good. Not at all, unfortunately. Or maybe fortunately for my clients because I think that a lot of people believe that they should trust the world around them that a lot of times people will come in and they'll have this history. Maybe it started when they were infants and their needs were not getting met because their parent was preoccupied either with themselves or with something else and the baby was not put first. So maybe it started from way back there. But a lot of times it happens later where people have a series of experiences in which the world has shown them that they can't trust everybody. And so it will happen that, that I will get a client who will come in and say, okay, I'm in this new relationship, everything looks good right now, and I probably should trust my partner and there's something wrong with me that I don't. Or, you know, my boss has been good to me so far and I don't have any reason to believe 
that he wants anything but the best for me. And so I should stop worrying that he's watching me. And so people believe that they should be more trustworthy of the world around them. But like I said, a lot of times, if your history doesn't show you that you could lay your trust in others and have others care for you and support you and do the right thing for you, then I'm not sure why you think you should trust anybody because you've had evidence to the contrary for most of your life. And so a lot of times people will come into therapy and they will say, okay, here's my issue. I have come to therapy because I need to learn how to trust the world around me and know that people have good intentions and people are not trying to hurt me. And I will look at them and say, why? Do you have evidence that you can trust the people around you and that you're just paranoid? And a lot of times people will be taken aback by me saying that, but I would never tell you to go and trust someone you don't know very well or suddenly begin to trust that partner who has wronged you or trust the parent suddenly who has so far been abusive emotionally to you and hurt you your whole life. Why should you trust these people? You've got no reason to. It's more about understanding what it all means and how you're going to live your life feeling that way and how you're going to heal the pieces of you that have been hurt by losing trust in others. And so my point is, is it really paranoia if people are actually out to get you? If you spent your life with the people whom you trusted the most, breaking their promises, disappointing you, breaking your trust, or even abusing you or holding you emotionally hostage or emotionally abusing you, how would you trust the world as an adult? What if it's still happening? What if your family who emotionally abused you as a child still does so to this day, even as you're an adult? How is a person like that supposed to just sort of give it up and allow the world around them to be the people they trust, strangers around them to be the people they trust, when they don't even trust their own family. And so, no, you're not paranoid if people are really out to get you. Sadly, I think a lot of people come in viewing themselves as pathological, thinking of themselves as having something wrong with them when they don't inherently trust the world around them and don't inherently believe that people are good. And so they begin to see themselves as the problem rather than the person in their lives who caused them to lose trust in their caregivers or the world around them. 
And so we have to operate from a place of healing from the pain and the trauma of people breaking your trust, not to force you to go into some kind of denial system in which you pretend that all the people around you are good, even though you don't actually believe it, but you think there's something wrong with you, so you should and you try to. And it just never works. And so I think denial can be useful. It is often something that people use in order to get through. Now, there's something I have to share that I think a lot of therapists are aware of, but probably the general public doesn't know this, is a lot of times we will be taking somebody's history and they will say, um, yeah, when I was young, I was sexually abused. And then when I was a teenager, I was raped. And then when I was in college, I was date raped. And somebody might look at a history like that and say, wow, this person really has bad luck. How many times can can you be sexually assaulted in one lifetime? Or they or somebody might look at that and say that the person is lying. The thing that we know as therapists is that when a person has been abused as a kid by somebody who's supposed to be their primary caregiver, you know, say for example, a little girl who was sexually abused by a father or a brother or somebody in their family who is supposed to be taking care of them, that what happens is their idea of trust becomes completely confused. And when we're supposed to be developing this sense that when I have needs, someone cares for me and supports me and gets my needs met. When we have that idea in our heads and then the person does the worst to us, then we get all confused about who it is that we're supposed to trust and who it is that we're not supposed to trust. And so it becomes very confusing. And a lot of times what happens to these kids is they end up taking chances. They end up going places or finding themselves in situations in which it is not trustworthy. It is not good for them to be there. And anybody else who was clear about the difference between who you should trust and who you shouldn't trust would look at these same situations and go, yeah, okay, maybe I shouldn't be here right now. Maybe I shouldn't be walking down a dark alley at three o'clock in the morning in a bad neighborhood by myself. Like maybe that's not a trustworthy situation. But a lot of the times that these kids who had their trust broken by their caregivers really don't know the difference between safe and unsafe situations. They really don't know how to trust. And so they end up finding themselves in really unsafe situations on a regular basis and things 
happen to them. And even to take it a step further, there are some people who, when they couldn't escape from their perpetrator, they left their bodies so to speak. They dissociated because their bodies couldn't get away, so their minds found a way to get away. So then these people grow up and they find themselves in an unsafe situation and they kind of like dissociate and leave their body again because it's a similar situation to what they were traumatized by in the first place. And so that's how these patterns get repeated over and over again and that people get re-traumatized and so for that reason i don't think denial is useful it can really get people into trouble trying to just sort of unconditionally trust the world around you can really end up in the end hurt you and so you need to be able to sort of keep one eye open and be looking over your shoulder in a sense, you know, trust but verify. You have to have trust get earned. You have to have other people earn your trust. You do not need to freely give trust. That is not a thing. No one ever comes into my office and I say, well, you should just trust the world around you because everybody's generally good. No, you need to assess the situation and figure out what your own safety is and how to take care of yourself and who you can give your trust to and who you can't give your trust to. And you need to know the difference between those types of people. And so there's a great book that I mentioned before called The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker. And it's about this. It's about this thing that people do where they feel like they're in unsafe situations and then they tell themselves that they're just being paranoid and then they end up victims of crime. And so... I think that's something to keep in mind. And it's not just that severe. It's not just about becoming a victim of a crime. It's about protecting yourself from people who don't have your best interest in mind and aren't there to see the best happen for you. There are a lot of people in your life that they're going to have to prove themselves in action. And I always say this to clients. I say, love is an action. Don't listen to what somebody is telling you. See how they show their love for you. See how they prove that they are trustworthy. And trust is something that is built over time because even if you're having paranoid thoughts about somebody if you check in on them and they turn out to be innocent and showing that they're caring about you then that's what builds trust and the more you have those types of experiences the more the trust gets built but i don't think that you need to just freely give it to everyone 
right away. Be careful. Protect yourself. Be cautious. Look for what is safe. Look for who is safe. And if you get a funny prickly feeling on the back of your neck, listen to it. Your instinct is right. And I don't know what that means in the grand scheme of things to you and your life. So maybe this is a cautionary tale. But I think it's really important. The most important thing is for you to develop a good relationship with yourself to where you trust yourself to be able to make determinations about situations and people and determine whether you believe that you are safe and you can trust. And that means that you have to trust yourself. So be well and thank you for listening.